Welcome to the eighth episode of Neural Information Retrieval Talks. My name is Sergi Castella, as usual. I'm Andrew Yates, University of Amsterdam, as usual. Yeah, and today we're here to talk about Colbert, which is a method that, um, well, method, model, algorithm, approach, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Several methods at this point, but I guess we'll, we'll get into that. Um, which is a, a, um, something that we have referenced uh, quite often in the past. It's kind of a, a pretty popular approach to information retrieval right in the last couple of years. So can you uh, uh, just give a few, uh, like, uh, tell us a few words about why we chose Colbert and what, what kind of is... Yeah, so we've talked, I think, a good amount about dense retrieval methods in general, but Colbert is a little bit different than the others, and we haven't talked about it specifically. So the way it's different is that most dense retrieval methods, or at least the ones we've talked about, have a single vector. So you have a document, this is a single vector representation. This is great as long as your document is small enough to fit inside a single vector. And Colbert takes a different approach where it saves the term embeddings or the vectors for each term. Contextualized term embeddings is a normal term for each document. Um, so you can imagine that this creates the increases the size of a document, but it's also increasing the expressive capacity a lot because your model, your representation size grows with the document, and this seems to have nice properties. So Colbert methods have different points on like the efficiency effectiveness trade-off than dense retrieval methods or than re-rankers that we've looked at. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a very interesting point because I, I, I have made the, also this mistake in the past in the previous episodes. So kind of like to make the kind of the simplification that in neural retrieval you basically found dense retrieval methods or cross encoder some form of cross encoder methods and Colbert is pretty much some sort of in between that try to like maximize some trade-off between the 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 like uh, efficiency and um, performance uh, that you find often in these methods. Yeah, it makes the classification a bit difficult. So cross encoders are always re-ranking because you get querying document at once. By encoder means you're taking the querying document separately, mm -hmm. but then it becomes complicated because if you do this, if you process a document separately, you can go the Colbert way and save individual terms, or you mm -hmm. can go the the other more more common and other model way, dense retrieval of just one vector for the document. Mm -hmm. But like they're the, the both dense, but one is like at the document level of storing vectors, and one is at the the term yeah, level. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit confusing. Um, do you know by the way what Colbert stands for? They, uh... um, no, I'm, I'm not totally sure, but according to their website, it's supposed to be pronounced Colbert, which is the name of some uh, comedian on, on TV in the US. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm not sure if they have an acronym for it or if they're just trying to get Colbert from Bert, or uh, I'm not sure. It looks a little bit like Columbert to me, which has some... Yeah. relationship to things we'll say in a minute, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But wait, we're going to, I kind of didn't mention this before, but uh, Colbert has uh, two main papers right now, one from April 2020 and the other one from December 2021, which was actually published in NACL uh, 2022, which was just... Yeah, uh, I was just like there a week or two summer, ago. Yeah, yeah. summer uh, 2022. So we're going to like just go through these two papers a little bit kind of uh, from a um, high-level perspective and, and going into some of the details. So I think it's interesting to focus first on the original Colbert paper on the figure two. They have some kind of nice uh, um, representation of sort of like the, at the time, uh, family of methods for neural uh, retrieval. So maybe uh, you can kind of walk us through through that. Yeah, so to put this in context, this is one of the first dense retrieval methods. So dense retrieval wasn't uh, an established thing at the time of this paper, really. So mm -hmm. in the figure, um, they show two paradigms from pre-BERT methods, which they call representation-based similarity and query document interaction. So representation-based is what you think of with a bi-encoder. You create some query representation, create some document representation, and they interact in some lightweight way. Mm -hmm. Like you, you take the dot product. Yeah. 
Yeah, like and normally this is, uh, this normally is performed with dance embeddings, right? Uh, although you want to mention that there's some approaches that try to do some representation learning with sparse um, um, embeddings, is is that, would that kind of fit this category of methods? Or is this only for this kind of dense representation because science similar? I, I would think of dense representations. It might fit the other category. I'm not totally sure without yeah. looking back at the paper a bit. Um, but yeah, so this was common bef you know, before BERT. And with BERT, we still have this. This is just the bi-encoder paradigm. It's, it's fairly standard. Um, the next one that they call query document interaction um, was essentially like the cross-encoder, you could think of it, variant um, of, of these methods. But there was no cross-encoder because there was no BERT. So if you represent query and document as static embeddings, then this is essentially creating a similarity matrix. So mm -hmm. for every query term, you have the similarity to each document term. So this is a, a row or a column in the matrix. Mm -hmm. We'll say column. And then another column is another query term similarity to every document term. And so this was really common um, pre-BERT. You construct a similarity matrix like that, and then you have some machinery to consume it. So maybe you use a CNN to try to find like ingram patterns. Maybe you build some sort of histogram to try to characterize the similarity levels of the document against each query term. You know, it's a lot of high matches, some medium matches, some low matches, this sort mm -hmm. of thing. Um, but however you do it, you, you take that similarity matrix and you come up with a score for that query document pair. That's a product of that similarity matrix. Mm -hmm. And as I said, this was pre-BERT. Um, with BERT-based models, so actually there's a paper, um, I was one of the authors, Cedar, where they essentially take these similarity matrices and they just, rather than building them with static embeddings, they build them with BERT contextualized embeddings, and then they score as normal. And this is very similar to just scoring with mono-BERT. So you can... Um, predict a score directly from the CLS token, or you can use the contextualized embeddings, plug it into something earlier, and the effectiveness is quite similar in both ways. Okay. So the, the next is all-to-all -all interaction. This is essentially cross-encoder, just feed querying document as input. They can interact in the transformer in some way. We mm -hmm. don't specify the transformer handles this. And then you get out either a score or maybe contextualized embeddings that you can create a similarity matrix with. Um, yeah. The score is, is a more common approach. And this is a clear example of some very uh, intense computation you have to perform during um, the inference time for each query. Right, right, because you're inputting this into the transformer at inference time, you can't pre-compute it, and if you're using something like BERT base, around 110 million weights, around 12 transformer layers, something like that, and then of course it gets larger, right? So it, it's a significant amount of computation. Mm -hmm. You could only re-rank like 100 or 1,000 with a reasonable speed uh, yeah. at inference time. And then finally, they have late interaction, um, which I would personally call a special case of this similarity matrix. So in late interaction, they're creating these query and document embeddings separately. So passing the query in, creating embeddings, passing the document in, creating embeddings. So this is bi-encoder. And then with those embeddings, they're basically um, max pooling over the query terms in the similarity matrix. So for each query term, they're finding the maximum document similarity, where similarity is cosine or dot product, saving that value. Mm -hmm. They then sum... The, these maximum values. Um, so you can think of it as pooling over the, the query columns and the similarity matrix followed by a summation um, would be equivalent. Okay. But this is basically what they introduce. So the idea is you can create these contextualized embeddings offline and then at runtime do this comparison of the embeddings rather than having to process them as okay. you would with the re-ranker. And, and, and then I'm guessing that you need to do, you're summing over all the query uh, terms, so I'm guessing you have to do some um, normalization of the like the query length or terms or surprisingly not. Um, so the query is constant, which is maybe what saves you here, okay. right? Because you're always ranking against a query, so the the query length is fixed. Mm -hmm. um, but they literally just take the dot product or the cosine similarity. They look oh, at I both um, okay. between them and, and sum them together. Okay. Um, 
All right. That said, I think we can uh, describe the architecture of Colbert a bit more in detail. Right. Um, so our, I guess the query is always 32 terms and it's either truncated or padded. So they padded it with uh, mask tokens, I believe, as a mm-hmm. kind of a, a query expansion idea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like they consider that to be a query expansion, um, right? It's not like they, you zero out the, the mask. Uh, you just kind of learn some interesting representations from that that are probably going to be helpful for the retrieval? Yeah, so I, I guess exactly. They learn some representation for these mask tokens and then they include them in that maxim similarity computation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think really that's the rest of the architecture. So that's the query encoder, the doc encoder, same thing. It's, it's just a transformer converts the doc into contextualized embeddings and then they perform maxim on those embeddings. So it's, it's fairly straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, their insight here is probably to keep the actual embeddings rather than trying to have a single vector. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, which yeah. improves effectiveness, but yeah. you also have to store them. Indeed. So I think that the, the method is pretty uh, straightforward to understand, like you've already uh, explained. So the next interesting thing to look at is that you can use this method as both a re-ranker and as a full end-to-end retriever uh, system. Right. right? So, so, so with a single vector, you would just use approximate neighbors, nearest neighbor search, find the approximate nearest neighbors of your query, here are your documents. Mm-hmm. Maybe you find the exact distance to re-rank them, I, I don't know, but it's simple. Here you have a lot of vectors you need to find the nearest neighbor of because you have a vector for every query term. Um, and of course, there's no guarantee that the, the nearest neighbor of query term one will appear in query term two's top 100 or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. The, um, so what they do is they have a retrieval and a re-ranking step. In the retrieval step, they basically find candidates for every query term. So they find k prime candidates for query term one, k prime for query term two, and so on. And so this gives them a, a set of document candidates. Mm-hmm. And then in the re-ranking, they just compute exact scores using maxim for each of these candidates. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't clear, in retrieval, they're just maximizing similarity to a single query term in order to make the document a candidate to retrieve. And then in re-ranking, they're doing the actual computation to get the, the full score and then yeah. ordering them based on that full score. And uh, the sizes that they are working with at the second stage, uh, where they compute the full maxim uh, score? Uh, K equals 1,000. So both K prime and K are 1,000. So they take the 1, 000, top 1,000 candidates for every query term and then they return the top 1,000 after re-ranking these. So 1,000 per query term, that would be like up to 32,000? Right, so up to 32,000 if they're all distinct. Ooh, and okay. then they re-rank these 32,000 and return okay, the Okay, with the full maximum, which is still a, like a very a big set of documents to re-rank if you were talking about some cross-encoder or something. Yeah, like that, for right? a cross-encoder, it's a lot. But here they've already loaded these documents into memory, right? So there's very little to do. They just mm-hmm. need to do the full computation. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So here it's not so much the computation that's a not necessarily a bottleneck, but it's not the computation that's a problem so much as the storage. Mm. Problem's not the right word, but storage storage space is what this approach requires, not computation yeah. extra computational power. Sorry? I think they do they consider both quantization and a dimensionality reduction. Um, I'm not sure offhand what combination is shown in the main results table, but there's like a space footprint table where they look at different combinations. Uh, I see, I see, I see, I see, I see. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So for example, if you use 128 dimensions, so BERT is 768 by default, so this is reducing it to 128, yeah. and four bytes per dimension, I believe this is standard, float 32, yeah, that would be Float that's standard. 16, so that's half precision, right? Um, I know four times eight. Sorry, four yeah, times eight. Yeah, yeah. So this yeah, would be yeah, four thirty-two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is two hundred eighty-six gigabytes. 
Okay. So I don't know what that data file is on disk, but it's under 10 gigabytes. Okay. Um, you know, there, it's a huge amount of space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they get this down all the way, for example, going from 128 to 24 uh, dimensions, um, going from 4 to 2 bytes per dimension, so float 16, they get it down to 27 gigabytes. So mm-hmm. it's still more space than the raw text, but you know, yeah. becoming reasonable. Yeah, by the way, Andrew was referencing table 4 um, in section 4.5. Um, all right, so yeah, so uh, the methodology they describe how they use MS Marco and Trekcar for their training and evaluation. Uh, we were discussing before recording this. It's a little bit unclear how they, um, how they, what, what triples they use of like docu- of positive and negative document pairs uh, they use. Um, right. Right. So they they say they use triples, which I, I interpret as using the MS Marco triples file. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't go look at the code; it wasn't totally clear from the the paper only. But I, I think this is the case. This predates like the hard negative mining and, and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, you were uh, making some interest, very interesting comments on the on what uh, is considered negative uh, hard negative mining um, in the you know in information retrieval, and it's kind of a bit unclear because. So I ask you: Are they using hard negative mining here? Because I know that hard negative Negative mining is a very popular term used right now, and for dense retrieval, we've talked also about this. It seems to be very important to mine "quote unquote" hard negatives for a model to learn a very good um, dense representation for retrieval. Um, so I asked you if whether here they were using hard negatives or or not, um, and you said that uh, um, that they were using the MS Marco and uh, yeah, I said they were using the MS Marco triples. We we discussed a bit if they were using BM twenty five, but what I said is there I think has been a, a change in whether BM twenty five counts as hard negatives. Mm-hmm. So to me, very technically, a hard negative is from the perspective of a model. This is something that might be confused, okay. right? So think about something like ants, where it's finding nearest neighbors of documents. This is from the model's perspective, like the mo- with the model's representations. These documents are close to one another, but one is negative, one is not, so it's a hard negative. Mm-hmm. They, they, it looks like a positive, but it's not. Yeah. Um, you, this also comes up with like topic-aware sampling where you cluster by query. So because the, the query is similar, this seems to also make it hard for the model. Mm-hmm. Um, BM25, I, I don't personally view as hard negative mining, but people are starting to call it that, I think. Maybe because they want to use the phrase hard negative mining <laughs> so that you know this isn't left out. I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure. But like BM25 you know, is clearly hard from the perspective of BM25, which is very different than a dense retrieval model. Like yeah. Very, very yeah, different. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Um, no, that's that's very um, interesting. Um, all right, another uh, kind of a bit of, of of topic that I don't quite understand is um, it seems to me like the the, the terminology for cross encoders and all to all interaction and uh, it, is it, it it doesn't seem very much converged into uh, like people call the same thing different names type yeah of scenario yeah um part Devin, of this yeah. goes back to like the pre-bert nomenclature so like drmm one of the earliest papers deep relevance matching model introduced this terminology of interaction based and representation based okay winter interaction is something like comparing individual terms something mm. like that representation is something like creating representation from individual terms and then comparing these um representations that represent a lot of the document, if not the whole document. Um, so this is kind of analogous to bi-encoder or cross-encoder, but it's it's pre-BERT and bi-encoder, cross-encoder, 
it, it's a terminology that works for a transformer, but it's not so clear exactly what you would say for another model, I guess. Yeah. Um, so there, there's kind of a switch in terminologies. People also say rather than by encoder, things like dual encoder also, um, or two towers model or something like that. The point just being the two inputs are processed separately, yeah. I think is, is what's key there. Mm -hmm. um, no, it make, that makes sense. It would um, relate to the transformers or like, like the, this method. Um, okay, so I think that we can jump into uh, we've covered we've covered the methodology. We, sh we should uh, I think jump to the most interesting or most um, relevant results. Mm -hmm. um, so which uh, table would you want to focus I on? Think maybe you can let's look at table two. Maybe um, yeah. So here we have re-ranking results and end-to-end -end retrieval results with Colbert. Um, this is compared to the reasonable baselines at the time, which are not dense retrieval methods because this was, you know, among the first essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so baselines are things like a BERT-based cross encoder, um, doc to query. I believe we've talked about this. This is doing document expansion with a, a T5 or a generative model. Um, so taking the document, adding some terms to it, and then retrieving it with something like BM25 mm -hmm. is normal. Yeah. Um, the T5 variation of Dr. Query, uh, BM25, and then Deep CT is uh, a learned sparse representation. So we've hinted at this briefly before. This is um, one of the very early learned sparse attempt uh, approaches. Um, uh, it's basically learning term weights that can be used with an inverted index. Mm -hmm. So compared to all of these, um, we see Colbert is competitive with BERT Base, um, maybe slightly worse depending on which row you look at. The, these authors train it, it seems, a little bit better than the, another row they cite. Um, it's also a little bit lower than BERT Large, so we're talking like 36, 36.5 for the cross encoder versus 35 for Colbert. So not quite as good re-ranking, but already quite close and, and much more efficient. So if you yeah. look at latency, this is 61 milliseconds versus like 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. Right, so this is that's yeah, yeah, yeah. From a usability perspective, it's it's night and day. Yeah, it, it's a, a huge difference. So I guess the gist of it is like it's much faster and it's com comparably performant, uh, not quite, but comparably. Yeah, right. Comparably. And you can see um, also in a figure four, there's a uh, also a nice kind of visualization of um, the flops required, right? For uh, was, is it inference or? Um, yeah, to re-rank depth K. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, the, the difference in orders of magnitude is around two to four orders of magnitude, um, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's so much faster. Exactly. Um, I mean, I don't think we, we, we should we, we need to get um, a lot more in the in the in the details of the results. Something that I would like to comment on, though, is in the in the ablation uh, studies that they that they do in section four point four, um, the the kind of contribution to performance that each of the techniques that they introduce um, kind of introduces, uh, and I guess to me the most interesting one is this max sim operation. Um, so uh, if you look at the uh, figure five, um, uh, their model B, say Colbert, uh, via average similarity instead of, so basically computing one, one score per um, query document representation, right? Um, how, like how much the performance degrades versus model uh, D, which is the, the comparable full Colbert model, right? Right. Um, which uh, clearly degrades from 
point thirty two to point twenty six or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a very large difference. And um, I think that's very interesting because uh, when you think about it, like the Maxim uh, score is not. Um, it doesn't have any uh, learned parameters, right? So it's it's kind of like not, um, I don't know how, how to describe it, but it's kind of... Um, yeah, I mean, the similarity operation itself doesn't have any learned parameters, but the embeddings going into it can be are affected by learned parameters, right? So, so the transformer is producing some embeddings or contextualized embeddings vectors that will mm -hmm. eventually be used in MaxSim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's room to tweak these, but not uh, the actual absolutely. similarity. But I mean, yeah, my, yeah. my understanding, though, is that in, in this experiment, they, they retrained the... Uh, or maybe I'm right. making yeah, too yeah. many assumptions no, yo, I, here. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, I think they are retraining it. Um, right. I, I think what's going on here is similar to what we even saw with pre-BERT methods, where average pooling is just not a good way to pool things, it seems. Mm -hmm. I think what happens is it's just dominated by small, meaningless low values. Yeah. Like 0.1 versus 0.4, it's probably totally meaningless. Th that's a, that's such a good point. I remember, um, I don't know, actually, actually I'm going to ask you, um, one paper that made the kind of conclusion that um, max pooling is often preferred when it comes after a transformation. Um, or some, I'm not quoting this right, but the, the basically when, whenever you want to aggregate information from multiple embeddings, you should do a transformation followed, followed up by a max pooling. And that works better, uh, seems to always work better than, than something in an average pooling, like you were huh. uh, saying. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what's the intuitive kind of like, uh, I mean, you were saying like maybe there's a lot of irrelevant signal kind of being yeah. uh, pushed. Uh, by the average, right? Yeah, um, I mean, think about like confidence. So you might be confident this is a really good match to one query term, and you, maybe you're wrong about the level, right? I, maybe you're wrong that it's a, a 0.9, it should be a 0.8, right? But you're, you're confident it's a good match mm -hmm. versus just something in the middle. So if you give me like Amsterdam and I don't know France, I don't really know what this should be. Like, is that a 0.2 or a yeah. 0.4? But this is going to matter when you do the average because th this has a big impact. Yeah, and you, yeah, it's probably, yeah. I don't know if it's even possible to estimate these well, but even if there is a, a real yeah. similarity that makes sense want, there. Yeah, in which you want like kind of just discard that, not not have it have any contribution. Yeah, it's kind of like focusing on the matches where it's clear these are related rather than requiring that you're very right about the relatedness between all pairs. Okay. Something okay. like that is my intuition. Okay. Interesting. Um, no, but yeah, but I think it's uh, just probably one of the most... Uh, uh, I, I mean, the, this is the, the... Colbert is the first paper who introduces this Maxim um, uh, operation. Yeah, I mean, I think like this a, is just max pooling and it's been used before BERT, but I... Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I mean, if you when you think about it, this Maxim operation is simply like... a defining kind of like a set to set distance right yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah that's a good yeah that's like yeah and it it seems to be way more expressive for capturing the the query documents in relationship yeah. um so before we jump into the next inter like the like the v2 of colbert um i wanted to ask you a to reflect a little bit about what has been the significance because like you have mentioned colbert a lot and it seems like it has had a pretty big impact in uh, in the ir community as becoming kind of uh, like some standard to compare your method to for for a couple of years yeah. um what, why do you think that is like why like um why did colbert become so popular what yeah. Um, probably a lot of reasons. A less interesting reason is the timing. It was just one of the first models, but it, it was a, one of the first models and it's very effective. So it's effective within the domain. Um, 
I, I'm not sure what the current state of the art is. I, maybe there are single vector methods that are similar to Colbert when trained on MS Marco within that domain. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not totally sure. Um, but last I looked, this is not possible without a lot of extra engineering tricks going into the, that single vector method that might also improve Colbert. Yeah, I, okay. I don't know if they would or not. But um, So it's very effective within the domain, um, possibly more, but also it transfers well outside the domain. So looking at benchmarks like beer, um, which of course didn't exist at the, the time of the first paper, yeah. um, it seems to be hard for single vector methods to perform well there. Maybe this is just something we haven't found. Maybe it's just a detail of the training. I don't know. But whatever it is, Colbert clearly transfers well here to these out-of-domain data sets mm -hmm. where single-vector methods really struggle to outperform BM25. Yeah. Um, we, we started to look at some a few episodes back, like Spider, where they're be barely beating BM25. Yeah, but Colbert yeah, would yeah. be better than this with yeah, 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 in, yeah. right away. That, that's so so interesting because actually, like indeed, uh, when you look at the, the two papers, Colbert uh, and Colbert V2, uh, you, you definitely see a very uh, stark difference in the sort of the benchmarking uh, culture or something, right? Like uh, Colbert V2 very much focuses on what you were saying about out of or like kind of domain transfer or kind of um, this robustness, uh, whereas Colbert one only... Uh, only only tests on MS Marco, right? Which is you would say is pretty much just in domain. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I would call it in domain evaluation. Um, and it's kind of interesting because Colbert is precisely strong, like you were saying, um, in um, out of domain or kind of like this this kind of transfer when compared to to the transfer triple. Yeah, um, yeah. Model. It's unclear why, but one clear difference is that it has a vector per term. So maybe something about anchoring it to the term level is more robust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, in the last episode, we precisely were talking about how um, how the difference between dense retrieval and cross encoders, how they uh, how the performance degrades when you start doing out of domain uh, evaluation, and it seemed to be like cross encoder these these uh, models that. Uh, took into account all of the terms. So basically modeled um, all of the query terms and document terms, cross encoders, uh, suffered less uh, right in these out of the main, whereas the dense, uh, dense virtual models seem to uh, suffer way, way more. Um, yeah. uh, intuitively, maybe because, you know, like these representations, uh, kind of these single embedding representation kind of like just are too optimized for the domain they're trained in or... Yeah, well, I, I don't know how you would. I mean, just in terms of bits, it's a lot smaller. I don't know if that's the key point, but I mean, it's it's one vector versus document length vectors, mm -hmm. so it's at least two orders of magnitude yeah, different no. in far as capacity. Um, if if that's the key difference, I'm not sure, but yeah. Um, all right, so yeah, so like uh, we just said, cover become very famous, pretty much a gold set, well, like. One of the standard um, uh, models that you should add in your tables when you compare um, your models. Um, so now, fast forward to a few months ago, Colbert V2, uh, which is pretty much and kind of like an, a next step, building on top of Colbert, making it more modern with the modern techniques. So um, yeah. What is what is Colbert V2? Yeah, um, they improve this in two ways, I would say. One is they take uh, dense retrieval state-of-the-art training techniques and apply them to their training paradigm. Um, the second is they have this novel way of storing uh, document embeddings using clustering and, and centroids that makes things faster. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we start with the, the training techniques. These are sure. more yeah, general. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they, they basically use hard negatives. Um, they have a mini-LM, I believe, cross-encoder. And they follow Rocket QA's system, um, where essentially they're using a Kale divergence loss to try to train Colbert to mimic the score distribution from the cross encoder, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, okay, yeah. I, I guess this is a hard negative. 
this goes back to our yeah. earlier discussion. <laughs> I, I don't know if my earlier definition applies directly here or not. Um, but they're taking a strong model, the cross-encoder, and trying to mimic its behavior, essentially. Yeah. So it, it's... Uh, yeah. You could say it's a distillation, right? As yeah, well, you could use yeah. that term. For it, it is definitely trying to, yeah, it's distillation from the cross encoder. Yeah. Okay. Um, I believe they train Colbert once uh, at following V1, and then they distill it from there um, rather than distilling from scratch. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so and then they, they also use in batch negatives on top of this, um, I suppose. So they, they call this training with hard negatives. Um, um, sorry, uh, the section we're talking about is yeah, 3.2, right? Yeah, yeah. So they have this distillation and then they additionally use the in-batch negatives. The in-batch negatives, yeah. And then do like standard cross-entropy. Yeah, um, yeah. So some combination of in-batch negatives and distillation, um, mm -hmm. which they call denoising training with hard negatives. Uh, so these alone already um, seems to... Um, Help a lot in performance, right? By the way, all of the rest uh, when we don't say anything, all of the rest of the model keeps stays the same, like the maximum operation, like all of all of these pretty yeah, much yeah. like uh, stays it, the same. It is, yes. Um, but uh, like um, Andrew said, um, they do some no uh, knowledge distillation that seems to work uh, has seemed to proven to work well for. Um, other models like dense virtual. Yeah, this this knowledge distillation from a cross encoder is a pretty common technique now. Um, yeah, how old? Uh, how um, how long has it been uh, a standard technique for training dense retrieval or? Maybe a year, maybe a bit more than a year. It's not so much. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, my sense of time, especially coupled with the pandemic, but yeah, within <laughs> the past year or, or two, I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah. All right. Um, and uh, is this the so we have the distillation, the in batch negatives that that the yeah. Uh, this yeah? is the training improvement, okay. and then they also have this. Um, let's call it an indexing improvement. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Like an uh, like efficiency. Yeah. 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 So you you could take this with these uh, improved training techniques and just apply it as is, but they do some things to speed up or essentially to lower storage costs. Mm -hmm. So they they cluster. Um, so they they process a collection. You know, they have now embeddings for all the documents in the collection, all the terms and all, all the, the documents terms. specifically. Um, they cluster this. Um, now they have a bunch of centroids, okay. right? Mm -hmm. And so they store each of these term embeddings as um, basically the ID of their nearest centroid plus a heavily quantized delta vector. Mm -hmm. So they, they store centroid ID one, two, three. This gives you a vector corresponding to that centroid. Yeah. And then they also store a vector with only one or two bits per dimension. Okay. Um, that's basically the delta between the original embedding yeah. and the centroid. Okay. So what you do is you take the centroid vector and you add this delta vector to it, and now you have an approximation of the term embedding you started okay. with. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and so this has clear storage space improvements because you're storing the centroids once and mm -hmm. you're storing the, the delta vectors, which yeah. are only one or two bits um, per dimension, so much, much smaller. Okay. Um, so this basically reduces the the storage footprint of your index, right? Like the exactly. how big that is. But in terms of uh, because at inference when you're when you want to search through the space, basically like do the nearest neighbor search that we talked about before. Um, this does does this also improve the latency or like the speed at which uh, nearest neighbors can be retrieved? Yes. Um, so you can find the top centroids first of all, 
Okay. I, I believe actually, I believe they compare against all centroids in this paper. They actually have follow up work that I think was becoming too much, where they only consider the top centroids in the scoring mechanism. Uh, I see. I believe here they're including all of them, but later work plaid the paper mm -hmm. suggesting. I mean, it would make, I mean, uh, to give a sense of scale, um, um, uh, how many uh, clusters are we talking about? Like, what is what would be like a typical document collection size that they work with? What would be uh, a number of clusters, right, that they work with? Yeah, and then like. The, the size of each cluster. It's quite a like few clusters, but I don't want to say the wrong number. Let me find it again. Maybe I'll get it out of my email. <laughs> yeah, um, so they say they're, the number of, total number of tokens, so across documents, is something like 600 million. They clustered these into about 262,000 clusters, so 2 to the 18th. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they say that typically a token appears in a few number of clusters. So I don't know if you have Amsterdam, it's not that it can appear in every single cluster. There's some subset of, I don't know, five, 10 clusters that Amsterdam is normally associated with. Okay. Um, but maybe different senses correspond to different clusters or maybe different contexts, different topics, uh -huh. something yeah, like this. Yeah, yeah. So you would associate kind of clusters to more or less map to different, um, uh, different kind of flavors of, or meanings of... Um, of tokens, uh, right? Yeah, so they have like, um, if they look at photos, then there's, so they, they map photo to clusters and they look at what else is in the clusters. So there's one cluster with like photo, photos plural, pictures. There's another that's like photo, image, picture, photograph. Mm -hmm. um, another like picture, image, artist. So all about photos, but one is like photograph, one is about artist, um, one is seems to just be about synonyms of photos, something like that. So there's yeah. some combination of term sense and topic. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay, no, sounds... Yeah, so it's, it's something le like learning the, the right version of a term and then having a small delta to tweak that a little bit. Yeah. So this yeah. is like photo that goes with artist and then we use that delta vector to slightly tweak it, which I guess can only make the, each dimension a bit bigger or smaller. It, it can't change anything too much because you're saving one or two bits. Yeah, so I yeah, think right. of this as scaling up or down the magnitude of each dimension, and uh, maybe. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. All right. Yeah, sounds uh, sounds reasonable. So, and to get a sense of how much this hurts performance, they um, they have a couple of numbers also in Appendix B, mm -hmm. right? Where basically we're talking about just a few point uh, decimals of. Um, percentage in MRR, for instance, performance drop, right? Yeah, yeah, very, very little drop from this technique. Um, it's basically just a free space savings with no real downside, it, it seems. Um, well, I, I'm guessing, would you expect to have a, um, a pretty big implementation kind of like complexity? Well, that, that's true, yeah. So this is yet another dimension. Like, I mean, obviously it's much harder to implement, I suppose. Um, yeah. Before, I think you could have just thrown it all in FICE. Now, I don't think they do. Uh, I haven't gone through their code extremely closely, but I think they're implementing all of this, like okay. the centroids and so on. Um, I mean, using FICE to help perhaps, but I don't think it's something where you usually can just outsource it to another library. Um, mm -hmm. The yeah. centroid yeah, plus Delta is a bit yeah, custom. That, yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's a very uh, um, effective form of compression, it will probably be implemented in some, some of these libraries off the shelf and become pretty yeah, easy, I'm, right? Or? Yeah, I mean, maybe this will be, but as far as I'm aware, it's not a it's not standard. Yeah. 
Um, all right, I think that covers the, the like the the main um, points of the, the the method. Can we jump into the the results? So um, yeah, what what uh, first like what um, data sets or benchmarks are are they benchmarking these on, and what are the baselines that they're comparing it against? Yeah, um, so they have three data sets. I think we'll focus on the first two. So MS Marco, we've talked about a lot. Beer, we've also talked about. This is just testing generalization. Um, mm -hmm. So you just test on these data sets, you don't train on them. Yeah. And then they created this new LADA data set. Um, something, it, they derived it, I guess, from some of these question answering websites. It's top um, answers across different domains. Um, um, but I think the bad others are easier to focus on because okay. we have comparison points in other papers and so on. Yeah. Um, so it, would it be fair to say that MS Marco results sort of a test in domain performance and beer uh, tests more the... Generalization aspect or out of the main uh, performance? Yeah, that's okay. yeah exactly. So if we look at MS Marco, um, Colbert is better than the baselines they consider. The strongest baseline they consider is Rocket QA V2, um, which is one of these dense retrieval methods with uh, advanced um, training techniques. Essentially, okay, they use some of these. Um, I believe this was their what they followed for their training. So like this kale divergence distillation uh, approach, for example. Okay. Um, but so let's see if we look at MRR, this rocket QA is 38.8, yeah. Colbert is 39.7. So, uh, an improvement, not a huge improvement, but it mm -hmm. is better. Um, it's uh, at the top of this table. And do you know, do you know uh, how this compares to other state of the art cross encoders, uh, like the like the actual top of the leaderboard on MS Marco? I don't know what the top of the leaderboard today is, but I know, for example, if you take a cross encoder and train it well doing nothing else, just like an electric cross encoder with a, a loss considering many negatives, yeah. you get around 0.404, I believe. Okay. Um, at least 4.0. So this is, it's, it's slightly better, but it's yeah. not a huge improvement. Yeah, the yeah, top yeah. of the leaderboard is above that, maybe around 4.1. Now I'm not sure exactly, but okay, so not a huge improvement, so. but above it. Okay. Um, yeah, and then if you compare to the original Colbert, it's a pretty good improvement. So 36 to 39.7, mm -hmm. um, and really, I think this is coming from the improved training. Um, the central aid technique should improve uh, speed or yeah. storage requirements, which improve speed, but I, I don't think it's doing anything to improve effectiveness. Mm. Um, no, that, that that makes a lot of sense, and that gives you again like um, a bit of perspective of how much the performance of these models are due to the the optimization tricks and and techniques, right? That uh, that keep just uh, getting better. Like the, I mean, I would say the distillation is the main um, driver of this improvement. Would you say that's yeah, that's yeah? Sure? No, this this distillation from a cross encoder seems to be very effective. Um, sometimes people do this and then use it to create hard negatives. I don't know if this counts as hard negatives anymore, going back to our earlier discussion, mm -hmm. but this is a really common approach too. Like there's these standard, like essentially lists, labels that are from uh, cross encoder scoring yeah. methods and, and people use these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Labels which can be like uh, even better than MS Marco labels, right? <laughs> yeah, you're like trying to <laughs> mimic a cross encoder's confidence, for example, yeah. right? rather than just using the... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, but I, was, um, I meant to reference like the... Actually, it was like the first paper actually that we talked right. about that, that in some... Depending on how you Quite define enough. it, uh, the these, these cross encoders might get you better labels than the actual annotations. But, oh, that's <laughs> true, yeah. They were often better than the, the yeah, ground truth. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's talk about the beer results, which are... Um, Hmm? Also uh, interesting in the more generalization um, aspect of, of things. Yeah, so I guess we see a similar trend here um, with Colbert outperforming the others. The baselines are slightly different here. Mm -hmm. um, 
If we look at Rocket QA2, so this is a shared baseline, there's a, a pretty big improvement for many of the tasks. Um, there, there's no average on the data set uh, for good reason, so it's it's hard to say. Um, but for example, DBpedia is 35 versus 44. Um, I don't know, Trek COVID is 67 versus 73. Uh, Hotpot QA is 53 versus 66. So Rocket QA is a much bigger hit in performance um, mm -hmm. going out of domain, it looks like. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and uh, because and none of the methods here uh, as baseline are cross-encoders, are they? Um, I believe not. Um, but... So most of them are dense retrieval. There's also Splayed V2, um, which is the second best uh, method after Colbert V2 here. Mm -hmm. um, this is also term-based, but it's learned sparse um, okay. retrieval. So it's it's using an inverted index with these learned term weights. Um, and, and this one is better for a couple data sets, but generally not. But it's much more competitive with Colbert, which again Absolutely. is interesting because you see that these methods with the term-based weights are the, the competitive ones here. Mm -hmm. um, I guess an interesting uh, thing to point out, though, is that uh, Splayed V2 does seem to be uh, outperform a little bit um, co Colbert V2 in the semantic uh, relatedness tasks. Um, yeah, so they, they split the beer? Here, beer here, which I like, into search and then relatedness. Okay. Um, yeah. Can you, can you actually describe what, what these two categories of benchmark are? So as far as I'm aware, that's not an official split. But what they mean is that um, relatedness, if you look at the, the some of the corpuses in here, like Arguana, there are things like find the counter argument for this or find an argument for this mm -hmm. position. So it's it's some task that's more specific or different than standard ad hoc search. It's, it's, yeah. there, there's some extra interpretation of the query, I guess. Um, yeah, so for these, Splayed does seem to be a, a bit better on some of them, most mm. of them. And then for the, the search tasks, Colbert is a bit better for most of them. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure why that uh, split is there. It's mm -hmm. interesting. All right. So, um, what would you uh, what would you say? Like, what, what would you take from these results? I mean, uh, is there anything, any kind of uh, takeaway? Yeah, um, I guess a few things. So, one is that the story hasn't really changed from Colbert v one. Um, I guess the paper didn't make the case for out of domain, but I, I think people started to pick up on this was working out of domain. Uh, after the paper was released. And the story hasn't changed as far as that, right? In domain, it's pretty competitive with um, other methods. Mm -hmm. Out of domain, it, it seems to be better than single vector dense retrieval. Um, another point is that these training improvements that work for the single vector dense retrieval seem to work just as well here. So things like that distillation, um, yeah. where it was tried before with these single vector methods, seem to work with these term per term vector method, Colbert, just as well. Um, mm -hmm. That's interesting. And then also this observation I made a few times that the generalization seems to be tied to the fact that they're using term level representations, either with Splayed where you get one score per term or Colbert where you get one vector per term. These are the methods that work well in the generalization. Yeah. Um, again, I don't know exactly what's causing that, but it seems like a, something that's coming up a lot in, in results. So would you expect this... Um if you look at the crystal ball of the future, would you expect uh, these to be a pretty fundamental limitation that kind of dense retrieval models never sort of overcome? And then like this just becomes kind of the standard technique um, for 
I, I would be hesitant to make that prediction. It's very strong, but I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I think that if you just increase the size of a dense vector, it's not going to work because this will be hard to train, right? Mm -hmm. If you were to increase the representation capacity to match what these term-based methods have, which would be inefficient, you wouldn't want to do that, but just as a test to try and understand what's going on, mm -hmm. I think the test would fail because it would just be hard to learn you know, yeah. a vector with 100,000 dimensions to represent the yeah. document. Um, so I, I'm curious about what will happen here, but I, I don't know. I think one angle is to think about why this works better and try to change single vector representations in, in some way. I don't know exactly how, but maybe reconstructing the important terms that went into the representation or I, yeah, I, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, something. there's room to play here, but it, it's unclear exactly what should change to improve this property. Yeah. As another interesting um, thing that they uh, don't do here is basically, as far as I understand, all of there's no pre-processing applied to the um, to like the the terms that are like that you search through the terms. Like um, part of these max similarity scores are computed across things like subwords and and all of these. Right, the, this is not the thing that is kind of explicitly modeled. You just kind of expect the model to learn. Uh, that um, like to kind of filter that out or like do you have any I don't know like I don't think they, they introduce uh, so they show any um, um, result or experiments on this but do you have any sort of intuition on the qualitative behavior of what the scores of Colbert actually are doing you know if you look at this query terms like you have a query right like how the yeah um, I mean I think it's a very good question um so as far as needing IDF, I know other models like Splayed seem to learn some idea of term importance and then this seems to remove the need for IDF. Mm -hmm. Also with word pieces, I'm not sure what IDF really does here. It, it, basically you have a cutoff or something like a cutoff um, where you never have an extremely rare word because you would have just never generated the word piece for it. Yeah. This would be tokenized to several more common word pieces. Yeah. So there, there's like a ceiling on the IDF. You can't yeah. have something really uncommon. Yeah. I don't know how this interacts with things either. Um, That's such an interesting point. It might be that uh, that this model is very sensitive to the vocabulary size, right? Maybe. That it, it might become much better or much worse if, if you instead of like 30,000 words, you take like 10,000 or 60, 100,000 or... It's possible, uh, yeah. Um, I, I think there's been very limited experimentation of changing the vocabulary, just because it's really yeah. painful to do. You have to yeah, go I mean, all, all the way back to the beginning. You, you, you would know? have to train Bird yeah. from scratch, which is uh, yeah, pretty yeah, painful. I, I, guess, I think right? it's very interesting to explore, but it, it's not yeah. an easy direction to explore. Mm. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of uh, kind of interesting ramifications, but. Um, anyway, so I guess um, we're just approaching the the end of the episode here. Um, how how like um, if we kind of do a bit of a recap on the uh, existing neural information retrieval uh, methods, right? You would say we have the, like we said at the beginning, like the two tower bioencoders, something that calculates a representation for the query for the document, right? And then like it's a one-to-one -one similarity score that you do on an index. Then you have like a full cross encoding, which is something like the rerunkers do, like just have a transformer, you feed the whole query, whole document, and calculate the score, which is does very well, but it's super uh, expensive computationally. Um, then we have 
covert, which is a sort of late interaction uh, method, right? Which is you 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 can calculate offline representation for documents, but then you do a bit of a more complex um, distance calculation between all the terms in the query and all the terms in the in the document. That seems to work very well and is a very good. Um, um, a very good trade-off between uh, efficiency and performance. And then we have talked a couple of times about more like a paradigm changing kind of approaches like auto-aggressive uh, search in which uh, some kind of model kind of uh, just generates IDs of retrieved documents. Um, so what do you make out of all of this space and like where are you more like more personally interested in, in kind of like looking into like in your own interest, like where do you think the kind of the most of the low hanging fruit is going to come from in the next year or two? Yeah, um, I mean, I think they're all interesting. I think that because cross encoders were around first, there's probably much less low hanging fruit there, mm. which doesn't mean there's not harder to find fruit that's very impactful, <laughs> right? But I, I mean, this is clearly the most well studied. I think the least studied is um, like the learned sparse retrieval, like this displayed, learn something to put an inverted index. Okay. Um, Colbert is somewhere in between, I guess. Um, there's a lot of work on dense retrieval, but less on Colbert's approach specifically, I suppose, of this, you know, one vector per term. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think taking this further in terms of efficiency is interesting, but I think that with this V2 and then a recent work like Plaid, for example, is a paper on archive, but they're these same authors where they speed it up a bit more, um, basically just improving the implementation. Um, it, Colbert is already quite efficient. So to me, this question of why Colbert behaves differently than single vectors is one of the most interesting. Okay. Like, What can we do to make a single vector method more robust? Um, is one way to come at it, and I guess the other way to come at it is to try to make Colbert nearly as efficient as a, a single vector mm-hmm. method. Um, yeah, which is is happening primarily, I think, with these implementation improvements, like the, the clustering, um, these delta vectors. You know, all of it's improving yeah. the speed a lot, uh, specifically storage space, which was you know where they had trouble. I yeah, I I guess one other interesting thing to reflect on is um, it seems like. Since 2020, like since more than two years ago or something, um, there's there's kind of like um, recurring evidence that, for instance, this type of method that takes into account all of terms um, or cross encoders work much better than the dense retrieval single vector um, models. At the same time, there's still so much research and so many people who are focusing on that mode of of dense retrieval of like single vector to single vector. Um, what do you think that is, that, that it's still such a popular thing to try to improve um, while it has, it seems to still be kind of weaker in terms of, of uh, you know, performance and other methods? Yeah, um, I, I think it has a few attractive properties. One is that you can just use an approximate nearest neighbor index with it directly. You don't have to do this Colbert like re-ranking, mm-hmm. re-ranking with centroid, whatever the stuff. You you just throw it into an ANN, so that's kind of nice. I suspect also people like the simplicity or what they feel is the simplicity of just having one vector for the document. Yeah. To me, I don't know if that's actually simpler than some of these, but from like a deep learning API perspective, yeah. just having a vector is, is somehow more in the, the spirit of how people want to do things, yeah, I, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. That's probably a large part of it. Um, yeah. 
Okay. No, I mean that that makes a lot of sense in terms of like this kind of like more abstraction beauty. It's kind of like in terms of like it, it has some kind of appealing properties. Um, do you know of any work that does these um, sort of many-to-many distance calculation in a bit of in the same spirit as Colbert does, but at a different sort of granularity that is neither document, neither uh, terms, but it's more like every, I don't, know, I don't know, at this at the sentence level or at, you know, at the paragraph um, level? No, I don't think I know of anything like that, at least at the transformer level. Um, actually, pre-BERT, there was a model called Deep Tile Bars um, by Grace Hui Yang from Georgetown and some others. And what this did is it basically built a similarity matrix you know, like we've talked about, and then you can do something like maxim on the similarity matrix to score. Mm-hmm. But the similarity matrix was, if I remember correctly, between document passages and query terms rather than individual document okay. terms. So they kind of rolled up the passage to a representation and then used that representation to get similarity with query terms and then built the, the similarity matrix off of that. Okay. Um, so something like that could be applied to Colbert, right? You, you just need some aggregation step mm-hmm. in between um, to take the term embeddings and turn them into, I don't know, a sentence embedding or a five gram embedding or, you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah. Um, I guess this would have storage. It's more storage efficient as well, right? If you just divide by, you know, the, some mm-hmm. constant factor. Um, but it's, it's interesting they don't try this way. I'm, I'm not sure yeah. why or, or why not. I mean, maybe it's easier just to reduce the dimension size of individual terms, which is what they did. Mm-hmm. Right? So they go from 768 to like 128 or even 24 dimensions for a term embedding. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, if you, if you think about it, it shouldn't be that... Um, like, for instance, if you only, say, use... Like, train this, do did like Colbert and only use the CLS token or like the special token that they use... Um, this would in a way be already this kind of like th- you could calculate some um, do this maxim uh, uh, operation but on class always on CLS tokens and um, the query each query term or something like that yeah. um, and that would be kind of some kind of different granularity uh, yeah I, I think this but, even goes back to your question about why people prefer single vector it, it's like from a deep learning perspective this is a lot of messing with the architecture that I think people don't want to do right now yeah right so we're talking about adding something like a CNN or a transformer with attention only over a certain window mm-hmm. um, you know whatever um, I think people don't want to handcraft that part of the architecture yeah um, but I think it would be interesting to, no, to see what happens though no I totally totally agree with that um, so do you think that there will be um, another version of, of uh, Colbert or if if you were to do a Colbert V3, uh, what would you expect the kind of uh, newer stuff you would include in, in this? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, that's a, a really good question. Um, I mean, maybe they find a way to improve the, the centroid approach fat more, you mm-hmm. know, maybe fewer centroids, I don't know, some other optimization in there. Um, I, like I hinted at, they have a paper on archive where they do pruning, so they they don't compare against terms from every centroids. They figure out which centroids are the ones that are close to query terms and then Mm -hmm. ignore the terms that aren't from those, which saves you a lot of these term reconstructions with centroid plus delta vector. Um, So maybe, you know, improvements along these lines. Um, Beyond that, I'm... It's very hard to say. So if there were new, you know, dense retrieval techniques that could be applied, I'm sure they would be. I think right now they're at the state of the art as far as what to apply. Yeah. At least we don't, I'm not aware of something clearly better that should be applied. 
Um, yeah, but I, I think just the, the 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 key point of improving storage efficiency is is really you know mm-hmm. what will change here because they're already yeah. there in terms of robustness and effectiveness. Yeah, yeah. Although I have to say that I'm kind of surprised that the, that such a um, uh, such a focus of this paper, right? This this aspect of storage efficiency, because I normally associate academic research with not being very concerned about that, as in like it doesn't affect the the benchmark scores and and you know like why um, the, like do people or like do does the community like do you get a sense that the community really cares about this sort of efficiency uh, trade or like yeah for storage efficiency not generally i mean storage is cheap right yeah. but the thing is this is or it started off so painful that it would have been really hard to experiment so in, in the colbert v1 they're they're still um, down projecting their dimen- vectors to a lower dimension like 128 yeah. or 24 but if you were to save the 768 dimensional vectors from colbert v1 I believe I calculated a few terabytes of disk space just okay. to save that collection. If you're doing a hyperparameter search, this is a few terabytes per hyperparameter. Like, yeah, it, it, yeah. it's it's not that the community cares a lot about storage necessarily, but it's starting to make experimentation just really painful okay. if, if you don't do anything to optimize it. Okay. Um, they're already better than that, right? So for Colbert v1, it's something like 200 gigabytes for MS Marco. Mm-hmm. But you know, this is going to add up. Disk I/O takes time, right? Yeah. Maybe in academia, you're not using SSD for this. Yeah, like it, it will be painful for you, I think, if if not for if it's not a huge concern of the community. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, it's that's um, very interesting. Um, all right, do you have any other uh, thing you'd like to highlight from this from this work that um, we haven't touched on? I don't think so. Maybe just a quick pointer towards that other archive paper, PLAID, P-L-A-I-D, by the mm-hmm. same authors, um, where essentially they do centroid pruning and then they don't use these delta vectors in the first retrieval step, which is cheaper okay. because they just compare against centroids rather than comparing against many more terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they re-rank that with the vectors. Um, so they you know, they get the benefit of them, but basically they're not needed for recall. Yeah, um, okay. So they, they get additional big yeah. improvements. All right, so I will have a superimposition of the. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so thank you very much uh, for joining us, um, and I'll see you in the in the next episode.